Hello everyone and welcome back to the Watch Dogs Bark. My name is Drew, I am your host and I consider myself, you know what I'm going to say, a watchdog. This is episode 64. Okay, last time I think we'd shut the front door. Let's, uh, oh, listen to the crowd. They're cheering for more. They want more. Episode 64. Uh, uh, uh. All right. The last podcast episode that I did got a lot of responses. Uh, DEI welcomes or at least tolerates anti-Semitism. And then since then, I've discovered that, like I said in the podcast, that the president of the University of Pennsylvania did resign, although she's allowed to still teach in law school. So really, what's the punishment there? And then also, there's a lot of pressure being put on the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, to retire. And she has no plans to retire. Her board of directors is backing her up. Well, come to find out, there's some interesting things about Claudine Gay. For instance, it has been discovered that she plagiarized her doctorate dissertation. Also, she has not written one single book. She's the president of one of the most prestigious universities in our country, and she's never written a book, and she plagiarized, I don't, I think it's 13 or 14 different things in the papers that she has written. And do you know why she's not going to quit and no one's going to force her out? Because she's a black woman. She checks that diversity box that everybody's worried about. The other president, the one of MIT, uh, Cornbluth, I think her last name is, she is also getting pressured to, re- to resign. And it looks more like she's going to. Although, if you remember, in her testimony, she did, in a roundabout way, admit that calling for the genocide of Jews was actually harassment. So there's not as much pressure on her to resign because she did, in a roundabout way, admit that that is true. Now, the subject of this podcast episode is called Hard Truths. I told you that Claudine Gay was a black woman for a reason. There are so many universities and companies that are requiring diversity hires, including our government. I mean, this administration puts a very high priority on hiring diversely. And then you have people like uh, Sam. I can't remember what his name was, but he's the bald guy that dress, put wore dresses and non-binary. They hired him because he was non-binary. Turns out he's also a thief. And look at Corinne Jean-Pierre. She was hired because she's a black lesbian woman. That's it. If you watch her press conferences, she's not real good at her job. First of all, she's horrible at lying. I wish I could play poker against her because she's got the most obvious tells I've ever seen. And me and my friends would clean her out at a poker table. She could never bluff and get away with it. I mean, Jen Psaki, like her or not, she's a great liar. She has very little tells when she, she'll lie straight to your face without blinking. You know, sometimes I guess that is a requirement of being a press secretary because you are out there defending the president. 
And you have to kind of do that at all costs. And then look at Joe Biden. He said he was going to choose a black woman for his vice president. He also said he was going to choose a black woman to fill the SCOTUS seat. Well, we know Kamala Harris isn't all there. I mean, she's, she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, that's for sure. And Katanji Brown-Jackson, she may be an extremely qualified justice, but we'll never know. Because when Joe Biden says, I am going to hire a black woman, that narrows the field to an unrealistic possibility. And for all time, poor Katanji Brown-Jackson is going to be seen by many people in this country as a diversity hire, not one that was the most qualified. She was qualified, but she was also one that checked boxes. Sadly, that's where we've gotten in our world. And honestly, if I was Katanji Brown-Jackson, I would have had words with Joe Biden. What Joe Biden should have said is we are hiring the most qualified candidate we could find. Then there would be no question as to the ability of Katanji Brown-Jackson to serve on the highest court in the land. We are seeing now more and more people that are not totally qualified for the jobs that they're holding, but they do check those diversity boxes. There are some things going on in our country that you need to know about. And like I said, these are hard truths. I'm going to be called names because of some of the stuff I'm going to say, and I don't care. For instance, did you know that people of color, and they, my friends, I'm talking to you, my, my friends of color, listen to this. The black community counts for 13% of our population, and yet they commit 50% of the murders in our country. Now, I tell you this statistic because I want my friends of color to understand what is causing this. What is causing this is the extremely low rate of fathers in the home. Back during the civil rights era in the 60s, 63, 64, roughly 23 to 24% of black families were single mothers. Today, it's over 70. The welfare program was created not to help, but to enslave, to make people dependent on that help. You know, like I said in a couple of episodes now, there is that sign in Yellowstone Park saying, do not feed the bears. Part of it is because it's dangerous and you get, you'll get clawed uh, and probably mauled to death. But the other reason is the bears will soon start to depend on that food and not go find food for themselves. The same applies to welfare. Welfare is supposed to be a temporary help, but I know people that are teaching their kids they can be on government assistance programs their entire life, from cradle to grave, for generations. My friends of color, here's my question to you. Why? Why has this happened? What you don't realize is this government is still trying to enslave you one way or another. I saw a great video of a woman talking about what the government has done for the black community and particularly Democrats. And my question to you, my friends of color, 
what has the Democratic Party done for you? Every four years, they'll promise to do things for you for your vote. And then they never do those things, do they? Listen to what this woman says. I'm going to challenge all black people for this 2024 election and stop going to your polling place and just voting Democrat, Democrat, Democrat without even knowing what's going on just because you've been told to always vote for the Democratic Party. What has the Democratic Party done for us as black people in the past, I don't know, 50 years? Even the first black president, he didn't do for the advancement of black people in this country whatsoever. Barack Obama did more for the LGBTQ community, more for the gay community, signing laws protecting them and their advancement and their rights than he did for black people the entire eight years he was in office. So why are we still sitting up here voting Democrat when they don't do for us? When we have old white men telling us, you ain't black if you don't vote for me, but then he goes into office and does absolutely nothing for black Americans, but we sit up here and we vote Democrat every single time because we've been told to. As it helped you, as it helped your mama, it's not going to help your kids. She's absolutely right. What has the Democratic Party done for my friends of color? Please don't hesitate to write me and let me know. Drew at the watchdogsbark.com. What you don't realize is they are using you for your vote. And also what you don't realize is you have a lot of power. If you all band together as a community and did not vote Democrat for one election, you would overturn the entire system. You see, the Democratic Party depends on over 90% of the black community to vote for them. They assume they have your vote no matter what. They don't give you all the things that they promise to give you, and yet they know you'll still vote for them because you've been told you have to vote Democrat. Why is that? The hard truth? You're being used. You're being taken advantage of by the Democratic Party who does not care about you. All they care about is power how they can increase their power, and how they can take yours away. Here's another statistic that I've used before, but it bears repeating again. In New York City last year, more black babies were aborted than were born. Why do you think so many abortion clinics are so close to low-income housing? Did you know that the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a racist? and wanted to use these abortion clinics to abort black babies. That's why she put so many Planned Parenthood offices near black neighborhoods. Again, the number one issue that I think is the biggest contributor to how black people are not treated fairly or are committing more crimes or higher incarceration rate than other races is because they don't have fathers in the home. It's shameful, and it breaks my heart that so many of these black kids are raised without a father in the home. The father is usually the disciplinarian, and it's proven over and over again scientifically that if, child's, if children are raised with discipline, with moral standards, they are much more likely to finish school. They are much more likely to get a good-paying job. They are much more likely to be strong community leaders. They are much less likely to end up in gangs. They are much less likely to end up in prison. One thing changes all of that, my friends of color. 
nuclear families. Black men, you got to start standing up and taking responsibility. Don't just get a girl pregnant and then if she wants to keep the baby, you just kind of walk away and don't take any responsibility. That's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to raise children with discipline, with morals, with standards, with respect, and yes, most of all, with love. I believe one of the reasons why so many children of color have the problems that they do, they don't have the amount of love they need in their homes. And single mothers, I'm not blaming you. You're doing everything you can. I understand you're working your butt off and you're trying to raise your children. And it's not fair to you. Men, put your big boy pants on and take responsibility. And to my single mothers of color, do not just be complacent with taking care of your children with government assistance. Find someone that's going to help you do that job. I promise that if more nuclear families became the standard in the black community, it would change everything. And I mean everything. And I know this is a hard truth. And I know some people may call me a racist for saying this, but I genuinely want to help. I want the black community to thrive and grow. I don't want to see all of these projects and inner cities that are such poor conditions. And the schools in these areas are even poorer. And it's not fair to the black community. It's absolutely not fair. This is not going to change unless two things happen. The black community stops voting for Democrats and the black community starts making men responsible and men start standing up and taking care of your families and children. If those two things happened, I promise you we would have a complete 180. I lived in New York City and it broke my heart to walk through parts of Harlem and, you know, parts of these projects. And I saw the, the conditions these people lived in and it, it broke my heart. Why? Why are we allowing this in this country? I know that there are people in this country that want to keep you down. They, like I said, every four years, they're going to promise you the moon and the stars. And then after the election's over, oh, thanks. We'll see you in four years. That's exactly what the Democratic Party is doing. So I'm challenging all of my friends of color. This election, vote differently. You don't have to vote for Donald Trump. I think you'd be smart too, because I don't know if you know this or not, but when Donald Trump was president, he got community leaders and big businesses in over a hundred communities invested to try and improve them. And I know everybody says, oh, Donald Trump's a racist. No, he's not. As a matter of fact, he won NAACP awards before he decided to run for president. Donald Trump was actually really good friends with people like the Clintons and Kathy Griffith and Oprah and Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. It was just when he decided to run for president that all of a sudden everyone turned on him. Now we know why. He understood what's going on in our country. He understood the globalists that are trying to destroy American independence. And he was trying to bring back that independence. And they are doing everything in their power to try and prevent him from ever holding the office of president again, because they know he knows them. He knows what their real motives are, and he knows how to stop them.
think about that. All right, the second hard truth that we have to face in this country is the reason why we have such a huge rise in anti-Semitism. I covered it a little bit in the last podcast, DEI. But also, there are many Palestinian people coming into this country, going to our universities, and then becoming professors. And they bring the hatred with them because their parents taught them to hate Jews. Their parents taught them that Jews are lower than them. Their parents taught them that Jewish, that the Israel is the little Satan and America is the big Satan. As a matter of fact, we have an imam here in our country calling for Palestinian parents to raise their children to participate in the jihad against America in the country that he's living in. He lives in Dearborn, Michigan, and I, uh, that, that's a surprise. You know, that's why Rashida Tlaib is so supported there. And in Dearborn, Michigan, there are many, many, many Muslims. And sadly, even those that are born in this country, that culture, the Palestinian culture still teaches their children to hate, teaches their children, passes on their prejudices. This happens nonstop. And that is the reason why we have such a rise in anti-Semitism in this country. Palestinian parents are still teaching their children to hate. They're passing on their prejudices that have been carried on for generations and generations, all going back to Jacob and Esau. And I told you that story before. I'm not going to say it again. All of that is passed on from parents to children to parents to children to parents to children. Over thousands of years, that hatred has been passed on. And now it is pervasive in this country. And another reason why so many Palestinians and Muslims are coming into this country is our open southern border. There are thousands, as I said in the last podcast, it is now to the point, and, and just to give you a perspective, okay, during Obama's presidency, when there was a thousand, one, one, zero, 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 one thousand illegal immigrants that were apprehended on the border, it was considered a catastrophe. Now, today, 5,000 a day are released into our country. Tens of thousands of people are on their way to our southern border, on the tops of trains, in buses, in large caravans. They're coming to this country because they know that the border is overwhelmed. The Border Patrol agents are completely overwhelmed. They're not being Border Patrol agents. They're processing clerks. That's all they're doing. And the Democrat Party wants to have more money in budgets to go to the southern border, but not to close the border, not to enforce our immigration laws, but to help process more people to come into this country. Why do they want to do this? Because they want to fundamentally transform the United States of America. Huh, where did we hear that? Oh yeah, Barack Obama. He said that while he was campaigning. His goal was to fundamentally transform the United States of America. Transform it from what to what? Transform it to, from an independent 
patriotic, energy-dominant country to a country that resembles a third-world country in parts of our country at this point. If you go to downtown San Francisco, downtown L.A., Chicago, New York, parts of it look like a third-world country. They are fundamentally transforming the United States of America into a socialist utopia. And the really sad thing in this country is there are so many people are, who are brainwashed into thinking their party is the only party that is right and the other party is all wrong. Both parties have flaws. Both parties have corruption. But there is really only one party trying to take complete control of the government. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. It is only one party that wants to get rid of the Electoral College. If that happened, if we got rid of the Electoral College, the entire, every single election would be determined by three or four states. California, New York, um, Illinois, and Florida, I think, or Texas and Florida. I don't know what it is, but basically the rest of the country wouldn't even have to vote. Because if we got rid of the Electoral College, which Alexander Hamilton was very smart in creating, that gave all the small states like Wyoming and Vermont and, and uh, Nebraska and Idaho, all these ones with smaller populations, the same power as the big states that have larger populations. That's what the Electoral College does. That same party wants to make D.C. a state. That actually goes against completely what the Founding Fathers wrote. They actually said that D.C. is supposed to remain an independent commonwealth so that no government could be persuaded one way or another based on the location of the government center of our country, D.C. So it was never supposed to be more than a district. It was never, ever supposed to be a state. But the Democrats want it to be the state. Because D.C. has a population that's 97 to 98 percent Democrat. So they're pretty much guaranteed that the two new senators from the state of District of Columbia would be Democrats. And that would give Democrats more of a majority in the Senate. Then it is only the Democrats that are talking about abolishing the filibuster. For those who don't know what a filibuster is, filibuster is a rule that 60 votes in the Senate must be obtained to pass certain laws. 60 votes. That basically guarantees that the parties had to work together. That's why that law was created. And Democrats want to get rid of the filibuster. As a matter of fact, Harry Reid of the great state of Nevada decided that he didn't want them to be 60 votes for judicial appointments. And because they changed that, these judges that are being voted in to SCOTUS and to appellate court and, and uh, federal, other, other federal courts, they only have to have 51%. So that kind of blew up in their face. Now that what they want, they want to get rid of the filibuster completely for all laws to be passed that way. Again, if they do that, make D.C. a state, give them two more senators, they're going to have the power to have the majority most of the time. And remember, I told you a democracy is not the type of government most people think it is. A democracy is just the majority, period. That's it. 
And the founding fathers knew the fatal flaw to a democracy that eventually enough people could be convinced to vote one way to get to 51% or 50.1%. And that means the other 49% don't have any say and have to live by the, the laws that that 51% enact. That's what the Democrats want. And then the last thing, Democrats are the only ones calling for the packing of the Supreme Court. What that means is they want to add Supreme Court justices to the Supreme Court. So the balance goes back to liberal power. Back for many years, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg and others were, were in the Supreme Court, it was 5-4, liberals to conservatives. Now the majority has shifted, 6-3, conservative to liberal. And the Democrats do not want that. They want control of all three branches of government. And if they can enact all these laws and pack the Supreme Court, what they're talking about is adding four more liberal justices so that they can have the majority again. Then it'll be 7-6. That's what they really want. They want the majority of the Supreme Court so they can have these justices that love to legislate from the bench. Unconstitutional, but it has happened many times in our life. One thing that was passed unconstitutionally was Roe v. Wade. And just, I don't know if you know this or not, but the woman that represented Roe, okay, she ended up having her baby. She did not have an abortion. Her daughter is alive and well. And so the Democrats lied that they said that this, you know, this helped people and helped women with, with abortions. No, it helped them control families. It helped the Democrats convince women that their right to have an abortion is a procreative right or reproductive right. How many, of you, how many times have you heard that? A woman has the right to get an abortion. It is her reproductive right. Well, I have news for you. If you're aborting a child, it's not reproducing. That's not part of reproductive rights. And lately, sadly, abortion now is just considered another form of contraception for many people. Oh, it's okay. You're pregnant. Just go get the plan B. Everything's fine. You know, everything will be fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're, you're pregnant. You skipped your period. Oh, uh, pregnant. Oh, you, know, you don't want to do that. Ugh. Go take that plan B pill. That'll get rid of it for you. It's just a clump of cells anyway. You know, it's not really a human. Democrats have lied to you and they continue to lie to you for your vote. Do you know who else has been lying to you for years? And this is another hard truth. The media. The media lies constantly. Why do they do this? Because the news cycle goes so quickly now that by the time the truth comes out about a report, it doesn't matter because we're already five, six stories ahead of that. And that's an old story. Nobody cares about that now because that's all been resolved, right? Wrong. Let me tell you when I started discovering and watching really closely what the media was doing, I knew that the media had a narrative that they were being told, and I knew the media was lying to us. And that was during the Michael Brown shooting, okay? 
Michael Brown, everybody in the media, convinced you that Michael Brown was this helpless teenager that when Officer Wilson got out of his car and pointed a gun at, he put his hands up and said, don't shoot. Not one thing I just said in that whole description of the media's narrative of what happened really happened. The truth of that situation is Michael Brown was no helpless teenager. He was 18, yes, but he was also six foot four, 292 pounds, much larger than Officer Wilson. Officer Wilson stopped Michael Brown and his companion, I can't remember who it was, the accomplice. They had just robbed a store, a convenience store. And Officer Wilson stopped them because they matched the description of the people that committed the robbery of the convenience store, and they were walking down the middle of the road. When Officer Wilson pulled over and asked them, Michael Brown punched Officer Wilson in the face, thus blackening his eye, then reached for his gun, which went off and put the first bullet hole in Michael Brown's hand. Then Michael Brown started to walk away, and Officer Wilson got out of his car, drew his gun, pointed it at Michael Brown, and told him to stop. Michael Brown, at that point, turned around and charged Officer Wilson. Officer Wilson then shot him as many times as it took to stop the threat coming towards him. Period. The jury and three investigations led by Eric Holder during Obama's administration, proved Officer Wilson was 100% justified in his actions of shooting Michael Brown. Michael Brown, the autopsy for Michael Brown, proved that the first bullet hole went through the hand, came from when Michael Brown reached into because it came, it went right through his hand and it was at very, very close range. Then every other bullet hole found in Michael Brown's body was shown to be created at a shorter and shorter distance to Officer Wilson, meaning Michael Brown charged Officer Wilson, thinking he could overpower him. And also eyewitnesses all collaborate all of that information. What did the media say? They told you. Michael Brown was a helpless teenager that when Officer Wilson drew his gun, he threw his hands up, got down on his knees and said, don't shoot. That's what the media told you. I still run into people that believe that story. The media is lying to you about many, many things. Another example, George Floyd. The autopsy and toxicology report came back proving George Floyd died of a drug overdose. He had three times the amount of fentanyl in his body that would kill an ordinary man. He admitted to the police officers that he had been hooping fentanyl. And I told you that before. That's basically... Uh, administering it anally. All right. Also, officers noticed that when they were pulling him over, he was swallowing baggies. They found bags of fentanyl in his stomach. 
Who knows? Some of those bags probably broke open because for someone to have three times the amount of fentanyl in your body that would normally kill someone, that's a lot of drugs. And Derek Chauvin, although he did use brutal force that was probably too much, George Floyd said, I I can't breathe. The first thing Derek Chauvin should have done, Officer Chauvin should have done, is reach for a Narcan, knowing that they saw him eat baggies of drugs and that he admitted to police officers earlier that he had been hooping fentanyl. The first thing he should have done is reached for a Narcan pen and go after, you know, and stop the drug overdose that was obviously happening. Derek Chauvin did not kneel on George Floyd's neck. He kneeled on his back, which is a technique that police officers use to restrain larger suspects. But because the media lied to everyone and spread that narrative that Officer Chauvin, Derek Chauvin, basically kneeled on his neck and killed George Floyd by suffocating him, was wrong. And because they spread that lie, there were over 500 riots around our country. And I don't call them protests. They are riots because they were organized. Like I said, there, ha- there are videos of vans pulling up, throwing out piles of bricks and placards and frozen drinks to throw at the police officers. These riots cost $2 billion in damages in mostly inner cities and mostly black-owned businesses. So I need you guys to understand this other really important hard truth. Do not believe what the media is telling you. Every single station, including Fox, including all the other ones, uh, they all have a narrative on the right or the left. When I was young, we used to all sit down and watch the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. There is no such thing in our country anymore. All news is opinionated propaganda now. And it is up to you to do your research in all kinds of places. Watch multiple sources of news. Watch on the left and on the right to get the full picture. Because the right has their agenda and the left has their agenda. And the left's agenda, as we've heard many times, is to fundamentally transform the United States of America into a socialist country. Not only just turn it into a socialist country, but get America to just sit down and shut up and join all the other countries in the world and not be the leader and not be the example not be that shining light upon a hill that Ronald Reagan talked about. That's what the left's goal is. To demoralize, desensitize, and destroy the United States of America from within, remember Yuri Bezmenov and that interview, so that there can be a world governance. People need to understand what's going on right now. This COP28 that just happened in Dubai, All these countries are promising to end or transition away from fossil fuels. And they need to understand that's going to be almost impossible. We have like 1,200 products we use every single day. 
that come from petroleum. And there is no other form of energy with batteries and solar power that are as dependable and sustainable as oil, gas, coal, and nuclear. Another thing the media and politicians and others have lied to you about is it's necessary for us to transform the atmosphere as well to stop putting out carbon emissions, stop producing CO2. Well, gosh, if I go back to basic science, I can remember that plants and trees live on CO2 and convert that CO2 into oxygen that lets us live. My friends, all of this trying to get us to go to electric and unsustainable forms of energy that they can control easier is not about cleaning our atmosphere. It's not about addressing what is now called climate change. There's another thing they lied to us about. It used to be global warming and global cooling. Now it's just climate change. They're lying to you about how our atmosphere is getting more and more polluted. It's not. What really they're trying to do is gain more control. And then the last thing I'll talk about that the everyone is lying about is that Russian collusion happened in the 2016 election. The 2016 election, Donald Trump directly colluded with Russia. Colluding means you work with Russia. I, there are people, I've actually talked to people, that still believe that Donald Trump is a Russian agent. And the lie they kept telling everybody is Russian collusion, Russian collusion. Uh, Adam Schiff said he had absolute proof of Russian collusion, and we've never seen that proof. All right, the January 6th committee says that Donald Trump directly led the violence at the Capitol. And now we know there were 40, 4-0 FBI informants in the crowds as agitators. At that protest, the Stop the Steal protest on the, the mall in Washington, D.C., there were over 500,000 people that were peacefully protesting that they didn't agree that the election was done fairly. And it wasn't because we now know that there were a lot of election laws that were changed last minute in many of the swing states. Again, if you want to read about it, go Google Time Magazine article on saving our democracy. I do in air quotes because they honestly believed that they were trying to save the democracy. And honestly, yep, they're right. They're trying to save a democracy. We're not a democracy. We're a republic. Democracy because they wanted total control. They don't want Donald Trump to ever have that job again because he will dismantle the entire Marxist agenda that's trying to destroy our country and make it subservient to the world. You know, I have to say, though, I'm getting encouraged by people now starting to come forward, realizing they were wrong about Donald Trump. 
There's a video I found, uh, came across X, my newsfeed on X. It's a billionaire Democrat voter, Shamath Palahapatiya. I hope I'm not butchering that name too much. But listen to what he says about what he has realized about what he was told about Donald Trump. Voted for Hillary Clinton. I voted for Joe Biden. But this is the honest assessment. The guy did for the things that he was supposed to do a good job. And for where every other president found a way to, frankly, make our situation a little bit worse, specifically around wars, he did not do that. And that is a huge accomplishment that I think needs to be acknowledged. As a Democrat who has been left homeless, who is now definitely in the center, but probably leaning increasingly right, I'm left yet again with an appreciation, despite the messenger of the message of the Trump administration, because what those guys did was pretty incredible in hindsight. These Abraham Accords, the Accords with Israel and the GCC, the almost accord between Israel and Saudi, to really be able to like find a long-lasting peace is just a real example for the world. And yeah, those guys did a lot of really good work. And it's it's a miracle, actually, when you when you look at it. What they did, yeah. you know, despite the fact, listen, I'm no fan of Trump. And I am too homeless. But this is where it's a but can I say party, this? But if you but want to objectively is, look at what they did, it was have good to. work. It was you great have work. To. You have yeah. to. And in fact, this is a moment where you have to start to re-underwrite, like, is one's Trump derangement syndrome causing more damage than anything that Trump could have actually done? And I think the answer is yes, because, like, it's now causing us to not see that good work and then embrace and extend it. So much of the work that happened in that administration turns out to have been right. And that's what's so frustrating for me. The work on the border wall, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. Turned out it was right. Issuing long-term debt to refinance when rates were at zero, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. A structural piece in the Middle East, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. When are we gonna stop shooting ourselves in the foot? And when are you going to actually see and take the time to look past who is saying things and actually listen to them word for word? The one thing that stuck out to me more than anything else in that little video is when he said, is Trump derangement syndrome creating more problems and destroying more than what they are saying Donald Trump did? And that's 100% true. Those who have been brainwashed into believing that Donald Trump is Hitler incarnate, the devil, um, racist, misogynist, homophobe, xenophobe, Islamophobe, all the people that believe that are not looking at the accomplishments that happened during that administration. And like he said, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. That's something very, very powerful. Yes, I've said it before many times. Donald Trump is rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. He just, he attacks. You know, he's, he does that. But what he did in office is quite incredible. The Abraham Accords were a monumental accomplishment. What he did on the border reduced illegal immigration to almost zero. 
He got our country to energy, not only energy independence, but energy dominance. We were actually starting to export oil and gas. And had that continued on the path that he was planning, I believe we would be paying down our national debt right now. I believe our national debt would not be rising. It would be falling. But you know who can't have that happen? The globalists. And I don't know if you know this or not, and if you don't have if you haven't read this book, you need to. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And Jekyll Island is where the secret meeting happened between the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, the Morgans, all the all the richest men in the world right now all gathered together and created what's called the Federal Reserve Act or the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is not federal, nor is it any kind of reserve. It is a privately owned bank. Back when we had yellow and white pages, you could and read and and if you look in the in the pages when you were especially in DC, there were white pages, yellow pages, and blue pages. Blue pages are government pages. Are are all the government offices and government numbers were in the blue pages. If you looked for Federal Reserve in the blue pages, you could not find it. But you could find it in the yellow pages with all the other banks. The Federal Reserve is a privately owned bank that our government borrows money from and our tax dollars pay the interest on the loans our government takes out from this bank. There's another thing that everyone has been lying to you about, and it is a hard truth. So when Donald Trump gets reelected, and I honestly do believe it's to the point now where he's going to be, he's going to get us back on energy independence, drill, baby, drill. He talks about that in all these town halls and and, uh, rallies he does. Once that starts happening and we get tapping into the one trillion barrels of oil under our country, I believe we will start paying off the national debt. And that scares the people that own the Federal Reserve and the globalists that want to destroy our country. Again, you may agree or disagree with anything I've said in this podcast. If you do, write me. Drew at thewatchdogsbark.com. If it's good, even if it attacks me, even if it tries to destroy or successfully destroys any of my personal beliefs or narratives that I'm trying to get forward on this podcast, I will read it on air or on on my podcast. I I, I have no issue or problem with people tearing me down if they've got a good argument. I love debating people that have their stuff together. I almost said crap, <laughs> the SH word. All right. So I, I welcome that. Drew at the watchdogsbark.com. If the email is awesome and it has great references and you make really strong points, even if it goes against what I, what I believe, I will read it on my podcast and I will never use your name unless you give me permission to. Okay. Okay. One quick thing I want to talk about before I get to my positive message is I saw a, an episode of Bill Maher, where he was actually talking 
about Mayor Wu of Boston having a minority-only Christmas party. And one of her staffers accidentally sent it to everyone. So there were people that were disinvited from this party. And she thinks this is all okay. She thinks segregation is all okay. You see, the problem, the real problem going on here is we are erasing our history to the point where people that are young think it's okay for segregation. We have now... Uh, separate housing in colleges for people of color. We have separate graduation ceremonies. We have now separate Christmas parties. And we have separate entertainment networks. We have separate award ceremonies. All this is happening. It's bringing back segregation. Something that we fought decades to stop in this country. And there are people trying to bring back segregation. Mayor Wu says that they have the right, the, the, the people of color in her administration have a right to have a safe space for their Christmas party. A safe space against white people? Okay. And then we've got a new movie coming out that is talking about how white people are the most dangerous creatures on earth. Again, do you know why this is happening? This is happening because we're changing and erasing history. I just had an interesting, interesting discussion with someone on X talking about the removal of the Confederate statue in Arlington Cemetery. A statue actually that's called the Reconciliation Monument. It actually celebrated the fact that the South and the North were able to get together and work together as a country after the Civil War. And that's what this monument is. And from what I understand, there is, it is scheduled to be removed from Arlington Cemetery. And a lot of people are saying, oh, good, good. They can remove it and put it in some museum so, uh, and, and an educated you know, um, tour guide can talk about it. No. You keep that statue in the place where these things happened. That's the most effective thing. Imagine a child going on a school trip to D.C. and he sees this monument and he asks his teacher about the monument. That is an awesome teaching opportunity for that teacher. It would be much more effective than reading it in a book or learning it from a slide film at, at, at school. It's much more effective. It's in person. That's why these statues need to stay up. Also, I discovered that the tour in Monticello, okay, that's where Thomas Jefferson lived. And that's, it. that's the, uh, the museum of Thomas Jefferson. Much of the narration in that tour focuses on that Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. And I've had people attack me saying, well, don't, isn't it necessary for children to know that they, he owns slaves? Well, yes, it is. But what they want to do, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because it's so important. What many in this country and around the world, especially the young people, want to do is called presentism. That is where you go back and you judge everyone in history by today's standards. 
Now, if you do that, if you judge history by presentism, you're never going to get an accurate look at history, period. And I, he, I said, now, do you think it's more important that people know that he was a slave owner rather than he was the founding father of our country, wrote the Constitution and created one of the greatest and diverse countries in the world? And he came back to me and said, oh, your use of rather than tells a lot about you and how you actually want to erase our history in another way. And I said, no, no, I want to teach history accurately and talk about these things in history through the lens and time in which they actually took place. And then, of course, he accused me of being a racist and supporting slavery. And that's when I told him, hey, do you know where the uh, term slavery came from? It came from the Slavics. Think about that. Slavics. Okay. Those are about the whitest people there are. (laughs) And if you go back and look at history accurately, and you go back and look at all of our ancestry accurately, you will find at one time or another, we were all slaves. Our, our relatives, our ancestors, rather, were slaves to another civilization. If you go back far enough, every civilization was a slave to another civilization at one time or another. So when you take slavery and you burn the whole thing down to one point in history in 1819 in Jonestown United St- or, or uh, the colonies before it became the United States of America, if you boil everything down and burn a hole in history in that one point in time, you dilute the scourge that slavery still is today. There are still slaves being sold from Africa and sent all over the world today. But do you know the two countries where slaves are not going? England and America. Do you know why? England and America abolished slavery. That is what is so important about how we teach history. We need to teach history relatively as it happened in the time it happened and help children understand it was a very different time. And since then, we have learned and grown. If we try and go back and erase history or go and try and teach history through the lens of presentism, children are not going to understand that. They're not going to understand how we grew and learned from that. All right, as I always want to do, I want to end on a positive note. And this is actually a really short video from Kevin Hart talking about how he didn't see things clearly at one point. And because he tried to look at it from his point of view and not understand the whole perspective of what was going on, it hurt him. And I think that is what's happening today. Listen to this. I got a 585 on my SAT. They give you 400 for putting your name on the paper. It's a true story. Wow. I guessed A-B-A-C-A-D-A. I did abacadabba all the way down. <laughs> it's a true story. Swear to God. I didn't care because it was a class trip that same day. I wanted to go Great Adventure. At the moment, I said, damn, maybe I should have applied myself. Maybe I should have did different. 
when I saw all my friends get their test scores back and they were ecstatic. 800s, 900s, 960s, everybody's going to college. I felt like the biggest idiot in the world. Because the same people that I went and rushed to go to Great Adventure with, they had taken the SAT the week before. So I'm the only one going to community college. Everybody's else off to Villanova, Temple University, Drexel University. Damn. I just got left behind. Lesson learned. Any opportunity given should be taken serious from this point on. I don't look down on those moments. You take those moments, you make the best of them because they're life lessons. It's that simple. I love this video. Number one, it did make me laugh when he said abacadabra all the way down. That's just funny. But the lesson he learned was that all the friends that he wanted to join on that great adventure field trip had already taken the test the week before. And he thought he did not put that into perspective, meaning they didn't have to take the chance that he was just uh, he was taking by just blowing off this SAT test. He did not have all the facts. That is so important because many times when we're being berated by someone or they're telling us to do something, we don't have all the facts. Just like when we try and go back and look at history through presentism, that's not all the facts. That's not reality. That's not true. We need to look at things through the lens of truth. And we need to understand sometimes. When people are telling us not to do things, like our moms and dads are telling us not to do things, a lot of times, I discovered, moms and dads have gone through these things and already have experienced what they know we will experience if we make these stupid mistakes. So it's important for us to have all the facts and understand why we're being told what we are. All the facts that are happening right now, there is a narrative. The media has a narrative. Their narrative is Marxism for this country, global governance, and to get rid of the single biggest threat in their way. That is Donald Trump. Like him or hate him, he was a great leader. Okay? And that brings us to the end of another podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Watchdogs Bark. Until next time, create an amazing day and please help me relay the bark. <laughs>